Welcome to episode 89, Managing Conflict, Working with Couples in Captivity, featuring Shane Burkle, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Hello to our listeners, Beth Irias here, and today I am excited to be joined by Shane Burkle. Shane is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's outside of Boston. Shane has a specialization in couples counseling and is also trained under Terry Real. Um, Hello, Shane. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. So today we're going to be talking about couples and conflict, particularly in relation to the fact that we are stuck at home in a way that we never have been before. You've worked with couples for years. Why don't you start by kind of telling us about your background and how you came to do this kind of work? Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I work primarily with couples in my private practice. And I've had a lot of training from Terry Real and the um, relational life therapy is his model of doing couples therapy. And um, it's a program that takes about two years to finish everything. But um, I also have a podcast called The Couples Therapist Couch, where I've had the opportunity to interview a lot of leaders in the field of couples therapy that is about the practice of couples therapy. So it's really interesting for therapists to listen to. But uh, yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about this topic today because, um, you know, I feel like what we're facing right now is something on a societal level that we see in our office all the time as couples therapists, which is not being able to control what's going on in front of us. You know, that there's something so significant going on and we don't have any control uh, over uh, the as a whole society uh, to change what's going on. And what it requires of us is to move into the vulnerability of not being able to control reality. And this is always true. We like to do a lot of things as human beings to pretend like we have control over what's going on, right? We like try to make money and we try to uh, make our partner do things that we want them to. And we try to uh, have influence on our reality, but it's all really just an illusion to make us feel more safe. And obviously it's good, you know, it's good to do some of those things and um, provide as much safety as we can. But I think on a very, very deep level, we all have a lot of fear. We all have have a deep desire to be loved and to be appreciated and to be understood by other people. And so oftentimes when couples are in our office, they're really struggling with the communication. And it could be about whatever the latest thing is, you know, the dishes in the sink. But on a very deep level, there's a question about like, do you really love me? And part of that comes from our own, you know, this this is some of like PMLity stuff who Terry Real is really influenced by and um, Jan Bergstrom who wrote Gifts from a Challenging Childhood. This deep sense within myself that I'm not enough, this, this shame, you know, and Brene Brown talks about this a lot too, the shame that I carry with me that I'm not enough. And so as soon as my partner complains about the dishes, then this feeling comes up in me that is like, oh my gosh, what if I'm not enough for her? What if she won't love me on the deepest level? What if this relationship isn't going to work out? That's not really conscious probably for most of us. It's actually helpful if it would be, 
Um, we can get better at acknowledging that. But instead, we're, us we're usually pretty well practiced at getting angry and protective. And I, I can tolerate that feeling for about two seconds that I'm not enough. But then my brain goes into protection mode. And then it's about who do I blame? How do I get to, you know, we get defensive. We blame our partner. We, we, we say it's their fault, not ours. Or we withdraw and we, we um, leave the situation. We'll get into that a little bit more. But um, I wanted to start with a story just to illustrate some of the, the points that I'm going to make today and um, to, get, to get personal too, as far as going through this whole coronavirus stuff. That um, So as all of you know, because we've been going through it all at the same time, it was what, I, I forget the dates exact, exactly, but early to mid-March, you know, the kids started uh, not being going to school anymore. And so my wife and I were trying to navigate this. Um, uh, she works from she works full time. I was working full time um, as a therapist. I was experiencing a huge drop in my client load, and so we were feeling a lot of fear about that. And then we woke up this one morning, and I went uh, to let. We, so we have six chickens that are like part of our family. They're like pets. We've had them for a long time. And I went and let the chickens out. And then I continued getting ready. And um, when I came down to start getting ready to leave for work, um, there, I saw a fox running through our backyard. And so um, I, did, I walked around a little bit. I, I thought I scared it away. I ended up leaving for work. And I called my wife on, on my way to work and said, hey, I saw a fox. You should go out and check because she was still at home. Go out and check for, about that. Anyway, as it turns out, all six of our chickens got eaten by foxes. It was so sad. My kids, you know, see them as pets and we were so devastated. My wife was crying all day long and it was horrible and I felt terrible and I felt I had a lot of shame and guilt that I let um, my wife down. I let the kids down. I let everyone down because I was the one who opened the door and let them out that morning. That, that, I, that didn't need to happen. That was a choice that I made because I thought people would be around in the yard and they could uh, be safe. But um, so the next morning we wake up um, or, or I, I go to work and I hear from my wife in the middle of the day, I'm, I'm in between clients and she tells me that she lost her job where she's been working for 12 years, full-time job. That's where we get our health insurance from, everything like that. And again, I'm just feeling crushed and terrible. And I think this is what so many of people are going through right now in our society, just thing you know, one thing after another. And not to mention that the kids were already home from school. We were already pulling our hair out because of that. And uh, you know, my wife and I had been struggling to communicate and then just adding these things on top of it. And it was a little bit later that week. So what happened for us is that our communication started breaking down at that point, she was really crying and I was trying to be there for her. And I was like, I'm so sorry, this is terrible, but it was pretty quiet, like just not a lot to say. And um, I was terrified, like, what are we gonna do about figuring out this health insurance? What are we gonna do about finances, all this stuff? But um, as I think back on it, on it, the, the most terrible feeling was I let her down. This feeling on a gut level, like, what is wrong with me? I'm not enough. Like, 
and I didn't make that connection until this one evening, you know, it was like maybe that night she lost her job or the next night we were sitting there and I was just like, I was feeling so sad about everything that was happening. I was feeling so fearful of, of not being able to control so much of what was going on. And, um, I didn't realize that I was feeling a lot of shame and guilt as well. And that was almost the worst part of it. And she said to me something like, you know, we were talking about what happened and everything. And she, she made a comment and I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, you know, it's, it's not your fault that the chickens got eaten. I, I might've, I could have left them out, uh, at a different time. We always do that. It's, it's not your fault. It's not, you, you know, something you have to carry. And it was like this huge, it was just like a huge sense of relief. I mean, I, te I got tears in my eyes. I, I got this gut level feeling of like, it's not about that. Like I can feel sad about losing the chickens. I can feel scared about what we're going to do financially, but it's not about the relationship. It's not about me letting her down. It's not something I have to feel guilty. It's not that I'm not lovable on the, on my deepest core level. And it was such a relief and it, it, it allowed us to push through and have the ability to, you know, the next day even begin to start feeling much more hopeful and, and start feeling a lot more connected and start feeling like um, they're being able to see the opportunities in the whole situation. And so I think a lot of times what happens for couples is that they get stuck in this place where they're both feeling this tension, you know, whatever the emotion is. Um, and Terry Real talks a lot about how men have a lot harder time with emotions as well. There's a, there's a, there's some gender dynamics that play into this as well and the way we're socialized differently. And um, that um, oftentimes men feel like if there's strong emotions, it means I did something wrong or it means that I need to fix it or it means that I need to defend myself. And um, so couples get stuck in this place where both people are feeling strong emotions and it starts feeling like this must mean that there's something wrong with our relationship. And we have, and this is what leads to a lot of be really bad communication habits. The, whatever happens in the communication after these emotions start coming into the whole situation. Let me start by saying how much um, I appreciate you sharing that story. My eyes got misty when you were talking about the chickens. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I, I actually think you kind of gave us this really illustrative vignette of what's going on in homes across the world, um, that everybody's lives have been touched by this in a myriad of ways, pretty much none of them good. It's just levels of devastation. And we have relationships, families that are under stress in a way that they've never been before, you know, for you to be dealing with real life, normal life. So, I mean, obviously an awful thing that happened with the chickens, but it wasn't related to the pandemic. But then you have the pandemic layered on top of it that then is affecting your wife's employment. So it's affecting your, your financial status. I mean, it's just kind of like one blow after the other. And this underlying theme of vulnerability, um, we are 
at such an unbelievably anxious time. None of us know when we're going to go back to, you know, I was going to say go back to normal at the grocery store. I don't even know if normal's ever going to exist again at the grocery store anywhere for that matter. Um, and I know Shane, before you and I started recording, we were talking about how much therapists have been affected by this, you know, in terms of clients coming in or the discomfort in switching to telehealth. And we're seeing couples, families, individuals going through their own process because everyone's going through their own process. But again, I think what, what you're really fundamentally talking about is this reaction to the immense vulnerability that we all feel. And then how that goes into a relationship, how we deal with that when, I mean, I, I mean, to start, it's just talking from my own life. So I have a one-year-old and, and a four-year-old. Right. And yeah. my son is home from transitional kindergarten now. His school is is not an option. And I've never been a stay-at-home parent. My husband has never been a stay-at-home parent. Um, I mean, we have been, but for, for short periods of time. And I've never been a homeschool teacher. I don't know what that means and neither does my husband. And so here we are having some sense of mastery in some parts of our life, but now having this light, this very bright spotlight that's shining on these other parts of our lives that we have absolutely no mastery at all, that that's happening again all across the world and homes all across the world. We're being asked to do things that we've never done before and we feel increasingly vulnerable and almost invariably that's going to give us more conflict. Um, so thank you again for your kind of vulnerability and sharing your own story of what's been happening in, in your life, because I think so many of us can relate. But even just as you know, one therapist to another, this is such an example of what all of our clients are going through as well, their, their own version of it in different shades of, of seriousness and, and devastation, like I said. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much of it is, so there's the initial stress you know, when you talk about having a one-year-old and a four-year-old and trying to navigate the whole situation with both parents working and helping the kids with what needs to happen um, and everything like that, there's the, the struggle of that and the stress of that and all of the feelings and emotions that go along with that, which we, we probably can't avoid, right? It's, it's, it's healthy for us to feel fear, to feel sadness, to feel anxiety. It's healthy for us to feel that initial feeling of it anybody would. But what makes it so much worse is if you're, you know, or, or I'll use myself, I'm trying to help my nine-year-old with her homework and I'm failing, like, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. She's getting frustrated. I'm feeling pressure. We need to get this done. That is losing sight of the acceptance of the situation. I'm actually compiling um, stress uh, because it, uh, what I'm what I'm actually adding to it is shame. What's wrong with me for not being able to help her with her homework? What's wrong with me that I that I don't know how to talk to my daughter in a way that we can get through this situation? And so it's it, it's no longer what's wrong with me. What are the teachers going to think of me if she doesn't finish this assignment? Or what are the teachers going to think of her if she doesn't finish this assignment? Whatever it is, but this feel it's this judgment that we bring to the situation. So. Um, I just want to emphasize the importance of feeling the emotions, the initial emotions of the situation. That's healthy, right? When we're facing a situation like the coronavirus and being in quarantine and all everything, everything that's happening right now, the financial crisis, it's good to feel scared. It's okay to feel scared, but pretending like you're not will start to make you move into anger or hopelessness. That's when you're avoiding the actual initial feelings of fear and sadness and pain 
of the reality of what's going on. As you say that, I think you're bringing up something really important for all of us to think about and working with couples and obviously with individuals in general, but with couples to bring into the the room, the virtual room right now, but to bring into the room just the weirdness and to normalize how vulnerable everybody is and to start there that I think it's easy for us to want to reach into our toolbox <laughs> and be like, okay, communication strategy, and we can pull this tool, but that fundamentally we have to start with acknowledging exactly what you started with, which is look at how much even my life has been turned upside down by this. And and you and I, before we were recording, we were both acknowledging that while we've been affected, we're both sitting pretty. You know, it's like, well, relative to many people, we have a, a lot to be very, very thankful for. And that it's it's a weird time. You know, it's a very, very weird time. And I can hear even the value of starting a couple session by saying, how has this affected you? Just how has it affected your soul? How has it affected your vulnerability? How are you sleeping at night? And to take an opportunity to connect with both of those individuals, um, not just as a couple, but as human beings, I think... I know I I I'd read this article and I wish I could remember the author, but I'd read this beautiful opinion piece where someone said um, basically this example of how they were on a plane with a baby, and that when we get on a plane, sometimes you know in the days when we got on planes, but it's like I'm going to check my email and I'll respond to all those emails, or I'm going to take a take a few hours and watch that movie or whatever. But that when you travel with a baby, um, all you're trying to do is arrive. That's the only thing that's on your mind. And this article was saying basically in the pandemic, all you're trying to do is arrive. And remember that that, that right now, that's your primary goal. You're not going to be able to check your proverbial email. You're not going to be able to catch up on that Matt Damon movie. Um, right now, your goal is to simply get from point A to point B and weather this storm and to start by kind of the normalization of that bizarreness. And you are much more seasoned in couples counseling than I am. So please, I can please weigh in on that. Yeah. Yes, that pers the perspective that we have is so important, right? It's funny you can relate to this. Um, you know, I hear people who who uh, have never had kids before talk about like being on a flight, and you know, it's so uh, boring, and you have to sit there for so long, and it's like you know, kind of a an annoying thing to have to go through. And then you know, once you've been on a flight with a baby or, or little kids and having to navigate that, like you said, um, it's just about survival at that point. But then I don't know if you've had this experience that where you're on a flight by yourself, like um, after be going through that with kids and that you can actually enjoy being on a flight by yourself. It is like the most magical thing in the world. It's so great. It's like, all I have to do is take care of myself. <laughs> no one's expecting anything from me. I can watch a movie. I can do emails. I can do whatever I want. It's so great. But like before I had kids, I would have thought, oh, great. I have to have a flight today and it's so boring and I don't want to go through all that. But um, I have a whole different perspective now. Um, and this is, I, this is, I think, getting to some of the potential that we, we try to lead couples to that um, there's a, there's um uh, an opportunity to completely change the perspective in how we're looking at these situations. The reason that it's so hard is because by the time people come to us, if they're, if they're 30, 40, 50 years old, that's 30, 40, 50 years of brain wiring that has been embedded in them in the way that they think about the world. And, um, 
you know, part of that is this, this, uh, message that our society gives us that we should be in control. Like, like I was saying at the beginning, this message from society that if you just work hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you, um, get the perfect, perfect partner, if you get the perfect job, if you get, if you're successful, then you'll be fine, but it's an illusion. It's, it's, it's not real. Um, and what it starts leading people to believe is that they are enough and they matter only if they accomplish those things. But there's such an important mindset shift that needs to happen for all of us as human beings that we start off as being precious, that we are enough and we matter simply because we are human and that um, we can we can shoot for goals and, and, and reach for goals from there. But we don't have to do anything to prove ourselves. And this causes such a such huge problems in couples relationships that when um, just like um, when I'm sitting there with my wife after going through a rough couple of days, it's real at a core level and I'm not conscious of it at a core level. It's about, am I enough and I matter? And if she, if my partner doesn't love me, what does that say about me uh, and my, and my value as a human being and could everyone, anyone ever love me? And this is based on, you know, growing up as a small child, being dependent on your caretakers for, for survival. So there's something about this love and connection and appreciation that I want from my partner, that I want from my family, that I want from the world that is connected to survival, right? Because we evolved as human beings to need each other in order to survive and work with each other in order to survive. And so, um, there's something that plays out where I become, as I grow up as a kid, and if, if I don't, especially if I don't grow up in a family that has healthy communication strategies, that I begin to think that I have to prove myself. And I begin to think that it's a dog eat dog world out there. And uh, that every day is a new challenge and I have to perform. And so when my wife questions me about something that happened, like the dishes, that I'm I'm operating from this place where I, I better prove myself or else, or else I could lose this relationship. And so it could be that I don't tell the truth. It could be that I get defensive about it. It could be, you know, that I, she says, I don't um, appreciate that you left all these dishes in the sink. And I say, well, I don't like how you're talking to me where I, ref I refocus it, but it's a form of protection that, uh, and it's a twisted sense. It's a twisted way of me trying to let her know that I didn't do anything wrong and moving into what I don't have control of is how she feels about me and moving into the vulnerability is to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I left all these dishes in the sink, but I run the risk that she won't love me anymore. If I do that again, this is way on a subconscious level. And so vulnerability is moving in to the idea into the reality that I'm putting myself on the line by being in this relationship. That's always true. That's always real. We try to pretend like it's not, but we, any one of us could leave our partner at, at any point. And so every one of these interactions, if you're already feeling stressed in your relationship, every one of these interactions feels extremely loaded. And one of the, one of the main complaints when people come into couples therapy, I don't know what, maybe 80% of the time, it comes out in the first five minutes that they say is the problem is their communication, which, which is true. And it's not true. It's true. 
that they are having an, an extremely difficult time with their communication. But the reasons they that they ha are having that uh, oftentimes they're completely unaware of. So I'm thinking about this couple where um, they they were struggling uh, with this communication situation. So um, it was two men who were married to each other. And um, one of the guys was on his computer uh, doing some work. It's a Friday night. He's on his computer doing some work. And the other guy um, is putting their kid to bed. They have one small child. And so um, the partner got the kid put to bed and came down and started trying to interact with the other, uh, with his husband who was working. And the husband who was working said, um, oh, hey, I can't, you know, I can't talk right now. It's not a good time. And the story, so, so they're in my office telling me this story. So the story from the husband who was working was that the other husband, the other partner was super, super frustrated about this and um, got overwhelmed and, you know, went, went away for a while. And about five minutes later came back and said, Hey, I'm going to a friend's house. I'm leaving. And he, and he walked out the door and left. Mind you, this is during the time of the coronavirus. And so that added a whole nother element to the conversation as we we're working through it in couples therapy, because he's like, why are you going to a friend's house? I thought we were quarantining. Like what's going on in this situation? And through all this, I'm, I'm working. I don't know what's going on. I don't have time to talk through with you about what's going on. And so there, there was a hugely stressful situation. Uh, but the partner who got up and left was tell, sitting on the couch telling me, uh, oh, I just decided to go to a friend's house. My partner was working. I tried to talk to him. He told me he was busy working, which I was totally fine with. And I called a friend and we decided to have a drink together. And so I decided to go leave and um, go, go see my friend who, who had been quarantining and I felt comfortable with it and whatever, whatever. And so this is what we often hear in couples therapy, right? They each have a perfectly rational story on their side. And what happened when the partner got home later on uh, so it's, let's say it's midnight. They come home from the friend's house. The other partner is done working. They have a huge blow up fight. And so as a couples therapist, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself, um, if both of you, you, both of you are so rational about how you're describing the story, it doesn't make any sense that, that you would blow up. And, and I think what happens for us as couples therapists is that we have to be really good at um, knowing what we're looking for because it's really easy to get wrapped up in the story. And so I could start getting wrapped up in one person's story. And then the other person might start saying, well, I only did that because you said this earlier. And then the other person, well, I only said that because you started doing this when I did that. And it's like a vicious cycle. And it, it it's not helpful at all to the communication for them to go down that road. And it's like, it's a justification. Um, I was justified in my unhealthy response to you because I was a victim, because you victimized me. And so I was just protecting myself. But both people are attacking from the victim position. So it's a vicious, it's a vicious spiral. No one's ever going to win. Everyone uh, has a perfectly good reason to do that. And so I, I often tell people, what you're saying might be 100% true, but it's not very helpful. Um, it's the idea that just because it's true doesn't mean that you 
that it's going to be helpful to the conversation. And so one of the things that's really important uh, in couples therapy is for us to get really, really specific about the behaviors. When, when they're describing the situation that happened to them, I want to know if, if, they, if one of them says, well, my partner got really angry at me and stormed out the door. Um, that's a, that, there's a lot of interpretation in that statement. Um, what does that mean? As far as I, I, what if there was a video camera on that situation? Tell me what I would have seen. What were the signals? What was said or done that made you believe that that person was angry? Did they tell you they were angry? What were you picking up on? Because I want to know that um, because that is actually um, information that the other person probably won't dispute. Whereas if they say you were super angry and you stormed out the door, you know, the, the other person's likely to say, well, I wasn't that angry. I didn't storm out. And then we're and then we're just getting sucked into a, a, an objectivity battle, um, which is like whose reality is more true, which is completely unhelpful. And so uh, I'm always stopping people when I'm working with them. So it sounds like for you in that moment, you're trying to get kind of into the meta communication. What's underneath the information that we're being fed? So the objective information. And as I'm thinking about it in the context of the pandemic, knowing that people are so much more vulnerable, they're going to be much more reactive. They're going to be interpreting uh, actions probably more extremely than they ordinarily would. So starting with kind of normalizing that, but then it sounds like you're wanting to go deeper underneath that objective information and get into the the thoughts and the feelings that were driving that behavior that that contributed to the argument. Absolutely. That, yeah, and that's that's advanced. What you're saying, I would. Um, ab- that's what we might be thinking, absolutely, as a therapist. Um, to get them to lead them to to that place might take some time, um, but I love that. That's exactly what I'm trying to think about. Um, as I'm getting specific, so it, so it's 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 twelve o'clock. The part the one partner comes home. They have this interaction. I'm asking them to get really specific. What do you mean your partner yelled at you? Tell like how how did they raise it? what happened right before that? I'm not letting them start telling me about I I already start coaching them in that moment about if one of them starts and you can see it. I mean a lot of a lot of us as therapists can probably recognize what I'm going to say, what I'm about to say. You can see it in your clients when they begin moving from a relaxed um objective mature adult kind of way of telling a story to this edgy kind of heightened kind of getting in their head, getting in their anger, kind of feeling about telling the story. And I, st- I stop people. I-, I coach them. I said, all right, we're going you, you, we're going to take a deep breath. Do you notice that edginess that's coming out as you're trying to tell that story? I bring it to their attention because it see now all of a sudden we're working with it right in front of us. Now all of a sudden the story doesn't even matter anymore because we got them. We start, we're starting to get them into this place where they're feeling the fear and the pain of the situation right there. And they think it's anger or, or, or the anger is true, is true too. On the surface, it's anger, but I'm going to encourage them to, I'm going to slow them down. I'm going to tell them to breathe into their body and I'm going to have a lot of patience and, and, and wait until they can say what they need to say in a way that's non-judgmental, not blaming uh, not critical of the other person, which would sound like, you know, speaking from the first person, as I experienced it, my partner opened the door, 
and slammed it really hard. I remember that, you know, they're one of the pictures on the wall kind of shook a little bit when they slammed the door. Like we're getting, we're, we need to get specific. Okay. So that was pretty hard. And then I'll look at the other partners. So you slam, you did slam, you slammed the door pretty hard and they might say, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. I actually did slam the door pretty hard when I came in. Okay. Now we're dealing with reality. What people will do to protect their own shame and vulnerability is that they will make it about their partner in a negative way. They will say, let, and it's almost like they're, they're looking at us as a therapist, as though we're like the judge, and we're going to come up with some decision at the end of this meeting about who's right and who's wrong. And they're trying to convince us of their side of it. And um, <clears throat> in the conversation, it ends up feeling like um, each person is saying, if my partner just changed what they were doing, then I'd be okay. If my partner just behaved this way, then I'd be fine. If my partner just did this, it's always about what the other partner needs to do uh, for me to feel better. And that's the shift that we're trying to make on a basic level. I want them, so both people are talking and no one's actually listening. Both people are trying to be heard and seen and understood, but no one's actually being receptive and taking in their partner's reality. And it, and it would be very difficult to do that if it sounds really harsh and critical. Um, it's going to be hard for me to take in my partner's response. And so we want to shift them in that moment to be able to think about the situation in an entirely different way, that my partner is actually just hurt and afraid and feeling insecure. And whatever it, whatever I see coming at me, that I feel hurt about, I need to have, I need to grow this ability to put that to the side and breathe and be able to take in my partner's perspective. Um, as you're talking about it, I can think about, you know, obviously having been in relationships myself, but that couples typically have kind of communication patterns, but that one of the things we're dealing with right now is the addition of different stressors and different vulnerability that's, that is possibly changing the pattern. So I'm thinking about the couple you gave the example of that couple may not be prone to, you know, big uh, explosive argument at midnight. That may not be their style. And I can imagine these partners may be reeling going, my relationship has never done this before. You know, like we don't do that. You know, we, we have like the seething quiet kind of arguments. We don't do this whole drag out, like yell at each other in the middle of the night kind of thing. And, and I'm thinking, you know, of the families and couples that I've talked to since all of this started that, that the, the rules of engagement have changed. And so as therapists, we're also potentially maybe we even have an expected way that this couple handles things if we've been seeing them before this. And then they come in with something basically out of left field that we're, there's this different layer that I hadn't actually considered until now because the stress is so much different than anything we've been through. So the couple may not, they, they may not have even the awareness that their partner was capable of this kind of reaction or that they were capable of this kind of reaction. That's great, Beth. That's so true. Um, and one of the ways I would think about that is that um, when we go through this kind of stressful time, it may look very different as far as like the intensity of it, the arguments or something like that, or the way the arguments are happening or it doesn't have to be, there's, there's nothing wrong with arguments. 
Um, or we could be getting even more quiet, you know, we could be more distant and quiet and withdrawn from each other than we were before. Like wh whatever it is, the dynamics could be different. What I will say about that is that um, each of us has sort of a blueprint uh, uh, that in the way that our brain has been formed based on growing up in our family, ba based on also some of the DNA that we're born with. But I think it's probably more so whatever we grow up with, whatever our, our family's style of communication is, whatever it is that um, we experience as kids growing up and learn, uh, particularly around emotions, that, th that there's a blueprint. And mine uh, happens, oftentimes what we see in relationships is that one person's um, blueprint fits really well with the other one. And they can complement each other really well, but they can also drive each other crazy. And so, you know, like a classic one that emotionally focused therapy talks about a lot is sort of the pursuer uh, distancer dynamic, where one partner's a pursuer, one partner's a distancer. And so if I grow up in, in uh, there, there are really good reasons why someone would become a distancer. So, and uh, I won't get into that. That's another conversation. But one example would be, I grow up in a family where one of my parents is overly enmeshing with me and um, uh, uses me to for their emotions as a child. So I, I'm growing up with this parent who is um, always depending on me to feel good about themselves and um, uh, enmeshing with me. And so when I grow up and become an adult and enter into a relationship, oftentimes that the constellation will be that I tend to be withdrawn and fearful of enmeshment in my relationship. So I'll be the distancer. And, um, you know, on the other side, the pursuer may have grown up in a family where no one really said they love you very much. And no one was really ta um, talking about uh, giving hugs or talking about emotions. And so the pursuer just has a longing to be loved and, and cared for. And so we meet each other and there's something familiar that we recognize in each other. But, um, and it can, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and again, it's another conversation, but those patterns, when we go through something like the coronavirus and the quarantine and everything that we're going through right now, I would say they haven't changed. Whatever the, the two stances were of the people that they, they always had, those will still be the same. What happens is that they'll play out, they'll play out in different ways, or they'll be amplified to the 10th degree. Um, because when we go through stressful situations, everyone's just so much more on edge. I'm glad you bring that up, that part of it. Um, in the interview that I did last week with Peter Coleman and his discussion about anxiety and the research about the um, the way that conflict changes with anxiety in individuals, he talked quite a bit about that idea that basically when faced with conflict, there are these different uh different domains, if you will, and that we may slip into to one extreme or the other. Either we go very, very rigid, very rule following, this is the way things are, or we get super loosey-goosey. And I mean, one example, you know, whether or not we get out of bed at a certain time, if, if you're not working right now, 
you know, somebody may be like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But someone else may get really rigid and like, this is kind of how we work through the vulnerability and the anxiety of what's happening. And I, I like what you just said there, that it really isn't that the stance has changed. It's that the expression itself may have changed. And so the, the partner basically isn't any different. It's just the the expression of it is now almost in a, is just dialed up, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And, th- and that that's a perfect um, segue into the the next part of what I was going to say, like, and to go back to the example of the the couple being stuck in this interaction, that um, so much of this is about acceptance of what we can't control and accountability for what we have done. So, um, <clears throat> like, when we go through something like the coronavirus situation, um, let's say that uh, you know, in my example with the two. The, the two husbands, um, the, the, the husband who is coming home, let's say that he, they had just lost their job, right? So it adds a whole different complexity to the situation because he might be feeling a lot of shame about the fact that he's not going to be a good provider for his family anymore. And everything that he thought about his identity is changing. And um, this is a huge, emo- has a huge emotional impact. So that situation that a month before that might have felt like sort of just a run-of-the-mill argument all of a sudden has so much more meaning attached to it because they're going through this time of the coronavirus and he lost his job and what does that mean and all of the shame that goes along with that and this is where this is that shift that i was talking about the opportunity for that shift is that um all we all we have to do is move um people into like, like for that guy to accept that it's not his fault that he lost his job, that we can't control what's going on with the whole coronavirus situation, to feel the pain and the fear of the whole situation, but then to allow ourselves to accept it and not fight against it and not have to prove ourselves about it, then I can say, I can take a deep breath and say, uh, or that guy could take a deep breath and say, yeah, you know what? I slammed the door when I came in. That's accountability. That's what their partner wants them to say. That's not, I don't have to fight for myself. Um, I can be giving in my interaction or, or in the couple's interaction, they can be giving to each other because that's really giving the other person something. When you can say, yeah, you're right. I, I really did slam the door. And it completely changes how the communication starts to go. I can see the value in what you're saying and basically getting the couple to work together and acknowledging basically their shared experience of vulnerability. That if if you as a therapist are able in that moment to establish enough safety with that couple, that hopefully you can basically usher them in, invite them into a space where it's like, so underneath this, that door slamming meant X, Y, Z. And that in that vulnerability is the, the possibility for, for the couple to see each other again, that it's like, oh, I see this person. Basically you put your knife down and, and you're this person who's scared and who's sad and who's ashamed, just like I am. Uh, to me, I, I kind of picture these two, adults that had been just going at it and so angry and their fists out. And then they kind of dissolve into children that just need to be hugged. Thank you. That's exactly right. Right. Because in our worst moments, um, as I'm arguing with my partner 
And, and be, um, I, I encourage all of you therapists out there to be mindful of this as, as if you work with couples, um, as your couples describe a situation, it's incredible to me. And, and I bring it to their attention because they'll start talking about what their partner did as if their partner was the worst person in the entire world, as if it was like a 10 foot tall monster with four arms and breathing fire who was like attacking them and hurting them and being so vicious. And um, that's what, you know, if you have two partners who are yelling at each other and arguing with each other, that's what they're both seeing in front of them. That's what they're experiencing. It's not real. It's not at all real. And it, it makes people justify their behavior and not be accountable. Because if I have a monster coming at me, then I'm entitled to uh, protect myself and be harsh and mean and uh, what I would say is emotionally and psychologically abusive back to them. And so it, it allowed people justify their behavior in a lot of ways. And you're exactly right, Beth. That's what it's all about is moving them into, you know, and, and part of it is the slowing down. Part of it is moving them into the pain of reality, into the fear of vulnerability, into this new space where I can see my partner as a uh, wounded child who is afraid of losing the connection and um, I can lean in, I can give them what they need. And um, the funny thing is the more I do that, the more I'm going to get more of what I want and need in the situation. But um, it's hard. Nobody wants to go first, usually, in that ability to give. So what do you do then? So you have this couple that's under extraordinary stress, um, couple stress, life stress, and then the pandemic added on top of it. So, you know, it's, it is uh, incalculable how much stress there is on different people in different ways. So when you see that the couple is kind of locked in and you're trying to get underneath the objective information into the meta communication, into the emotion, and nobody wants to make that leap. Um, there's a beautiful quote in Brene Brown's book um, that i Oh gosh, I think it was Franklin Roosevelt, the uh, in the arena quote, but she talks about vulnerability and being in the arena with your face uh, marred with with blood and sweat. And and that in I think of it in couples or in families, like basically who's willing to step into the arena first. When you see that no one in that moment is is stepping forward, how do you decide as a couple therapist what move to make? Well, that's an interesting question. I um and getting the training from Terry Real, he talks a lot about determining a lot of times in a couple, one one person will will be more blatant than the other one. And he talks about the the idea that we have to take on the blatant person first before we can empower the latent or the, the less empowered person in the situation. And so uh, you can imagine, you know, it's like if if one person is yells a lot more, is more critical, is always blaming their partner, and the other one sort of um, withdraws and shrivels up and doesn't say much. You know, you might I might say that the person who's louder is more blatant. This is a really basic example. I'm just going to try to say a quick one, but but so if when I'm going after that person, they're going to be saying, "Yeah, my partner doesn't say anything back to me." Uh, he is, he's always, um, getting quiet when I'm yelling at him. He doesn't, he doesn't answer my questions. 
And I'll, so the first thing that I'll do is I'm going to attune and connect with them. I'm going to give them what I want their partner to give them. And I'm going to say, oh my gosh, that is horrible. They don't say anything back to you when you're yelling at them. What is that like for you? That must make you feel so alone. That must make you feel worthless. That must make you feel terrible. They don't say anything. And what, and what do you do? Well, I, then I keep yelling. Then I keep going. Oh my gosh, of course you do. Of course you do. And who was, and who was the angry one in your family growing up? Oh, my dad. Oh, he was terrible. He was much worse than, than I am. He used to yell at me all the time. Oh, well, of course you do that then. That's the only way you learned how to uh, communicate in your family when you weren't getting what you needed. It makes perfect sense. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And um, how's it working for you? Oh, the more I yell, the more he closes up and I, and I feel lonelier and I don't get what I need. Oh, that's awful. Well, I have a lot of ideas for you. Would you like me to teach you something different? Yes. Yeah, sure. I'll try anything. Okay, great. And all of a sudden we're off to the races at that point. That's a really interesting example because I could see that basically you went after the partner, you know, in Terry Reel's method, what they're calling the blatant partner, but basically the one who's really um, throwing the knife around and that you were like, I'm going to get the knife, (laughs) put the knife down. And now let's see what was underneath the knife. Um, And that then it's potentially ideally creating more space for that person's vulnerability and then hopefully establishing enough safety for the more latent partner to then step into the arena as well. I think right now our primary focus is to be with the vulnerability, establish safety and get the couple sitting back on the same couch, if that makes sense. They're sitting next to each other, facing the trials that are ahead of them instead of looking at each other and arguing it out they're able to look at the landscape around them together face it together and that the example you just gave is kind of almost snapping in their face of being like hey look you know like let's bring it back to the importance and the gravity of what we're saying that if this pattern keeps going this isn't where you want to go um, and obviously you have to have, I know you you like the term leverage, you have to have enough leverage to be able to make that with a couple, but to engage um, their, their higher reasoning in that moment to get through the vulnerability of the situation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do love that idea of leverage, right? The leverage is that you want something, each client, each partner wants something And I have that, I have the ticket to that in my back pocket right here. And I'm standing between you and getting this thing that you want. So it could be the kids. It could be about, I just want to have less conflict in my relationship, but, um, we have to have, and and the leverage has to come from the partner. It can't come from me as a therapist. I can't tell who am I to tell someone what to do with their life. Um, I have to have that level of detachment from outcome, but at the same time, Um, I'm going to help each partner express what they want and what's important to them so that um, I will then use the leverage that comes into the conversation once it's there. But anyway, you know, and and as we, you know, I think part of what you were saying is uh, a helpful transition into maybe just some some general ideas as we begin to wrap up as far as some good, good things for couples that we can be doing as therapists to help our couples just in general, some general ideas, and that we can use for ourselves as therapists right now to, to really, um, you know, get through this difficult situation. 
And so I think to go back to one of one big thing right now is acceptance, acceptance of what we can't control. There's so much going on right now. And um, as we're working with our couples, um, whenever you feel that edginess and that frustration and that anger coming into the situation, it's a good indication that someone uh, has some trauma that they haven't worked through. And I'm not saying you have to do like deep, intensive trauma work, but what I'm saying is it's, it's a part of them that's not facing the reality of what's going on as an adult. So there's something potentially to grieve there. There's some pain that might be helpful for them to feel and process and move through so that, or, or some fear about not being enough, their own shame or, or of their partner, not loving them could be whatever, but that, um, we have we have to guide them to slow down and and all of us in society right now need to slow down we need to breathe and we need to have a lot of acceptance for what we can't control another thing right now is the understanding that people handle um cr- chaos and crisis in very different ways right so and i i think i saw this on like an instagram post recently or something it's like but my wife sent it to me cuz she's like oh my gosh this is exactly like us it said like some people face a crisis and get busy doing things and like want to just be doing 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 all the time because that's what they need for themselves some people face a crisis and they get and they need to rest and relax and decompress and like slow down Neither one is right or wrong. And we need to be really accepting of each other for whatever it is we need right now. There's there's no right or wrong. I think earlier you kind of said, you know, basically to grow into this different self. And I think it is a challenge for couples right now when they're feeling really vulnerable as individuals. But this idea of like, look, you have this opportunity to love your partner through this vulnerability kind of that very thing that that we signed up for. And we never said it was going to be easy. It's certainly not easy. But this is exactly what we meant when we stood at an altar and said our vows, this, this is it. <laughs> That's right. And you made the commitment then, but and you make it every single day. We live in a society where you can leave that relationship anytime you want. And you have to own that decision for yourself and live up to those commitments that you've made and be accountable. Right. I think as you as you talk about this, it's coming out of really Terry Real's reality therapy and this idea of here's, here's the reality of what we're talking about. Here's the gravity of these, um, of the position and Shane, I should tell our listeners uh, who may not know this, there have been uh, an increase, there's been an increase in divorce filings uh, in Asian countries since the lifting of uh, some social distancing measures. And that was part of what caused you and I to have this conversation. But knowing that these couples are under an extreme amount of stress and they're looking to us to help weather this vulnerability. Uh, because none of us know how to pandemic proof a marriage or a relationship. I've never done it before. If you, you know, like no, yeah, right. So, so we as therapists are holding a whole lot of hope, I think, to help support couples during this time. That this is like that flight with your screaming newborn. It's like right now our goal is to just get through this, and here's how to not basically do more damage and lose one of your most important primary support systems. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. And let me just say something really hopeful for couples therapists out there because I, you know, I have um, a couples therapist couch Facebook group with um, that anybody can join for free with so many people in there. And I have an inner circle. um, But I've been talking to a lot of couples therapists and there's a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity about 
you know, what's going to happen in the last few weeks, ever since this all started playing out, we've been losing clients in our caseloads. You know, we're really worried about what happens as this continues going forward to our practices, to our businesses. And I just want to say that I think that couples therapists are going to be more needed than ever in the, in the months to come. And I don't think it's going to be like six months from now. I think it's going to be like three weeks from now that we're going to, going to start seeing people getting used to this new reality of doing everything on video as part of it, but also as they continue, like you said, in China, as they got, you know, started coming through it, there's all these divorces and there's all this relational um, stress that's building up right now. And the, we as couples therapists are really well positioned because as I was talking about before, the stuff that society is facing as a whole right now, as far as um, the vulnerability and not having control of what's going on and feeling f fearful, this is what we deal with in our office all the time. And we, we, know, we know what to do. And so I'm really optimistic about what's going to happen um, for couples therapists and people needing us more than ever. And um, just to speak to some of that fear that's going on for people right now that, you know, people aren't going to couples therapy anymore. I think there are a lot of reasons for that uh, that make sense. But I think in the next several weeks that people are going to, to need us more than ever. And I think we are the people who know how to help everyone get through this uh, pandemic. I appreciate you saying that because it is such a difficult time for for everyone in different ways and the you know, therapists included, and that a lot of people are feeling discouraged. Um, you know, how, how do we help over video therapy? And, and you know, what if the kids are in the room? And it's, it's just, it's different. We've, we've never done this before. Um, and I think you and I could certainly keep, keep talking about this in different ways, but the, the primary takeaways I'm kind of hearing, we are initially fundamentally starting with an acknowledgement of vulnerability with ourselves, with our couples, with the people that we're seeing. And even that, you know, going back to your early example about your wife saying, you know, that that could have happened to me. That wasn't your fault. What happened to the chickens wasn't your fault. I think even the power of a couple's therapist saying what's happening right now in your marriage, like, look what's going on around us. You're out of control because we're all out of control because everyone is scared. And we've all been affected. We've all lost people or we're afraid for ourselves or for our family members. Like it's, it's huge. Um, and starting there with so much power in just the normalization and then trying to, as you said, move into the communication pattern of like, okay, here's what's happening. Here's a, under the kind of the, the me meta communication underneath the objective information that helps us then work on how to get this couple to tap into the resources they have to get through this, how to weather it. Um, I, I'm so glad that you spent time with us today to kind of cover these things. So again, just kind of starting with the vulnerability and then moving into some strategies to help them with the communication, not being afraid to jump in and say, okay, stop, I'm noticing and, and trying to take the proverbial knife out of their hand and get back to the vulnerability and the love that, that they can find in each other in that support system. Yeah, absolutely. And just a, a final thought, along those lines, I think we need to have so much compassion for ourselves as therapists right now. And, and um, for all human beings, we need we need to have compassion for ourselves because this is such a stressful uh, time that we're going through right now. And there are like a hundred layers to it. It's not just whatever we think about on the surface, but 
so many, you know, the financial implications, the transitioning to video therapy, the extra stress that everyone's feeling with kids being home, all of these, you know, and a hundred other things that are going on for people right now, you're not really conscious of throughout the day, but for, for so many of us, we get to the end of the day and we're just exhausted um, because it's like taking in all this information that's different in different ways. And I think that a, a huge amount of understanding and compassion for ourselves and acceptance for ourselves as we go through this is so important. I appreciate you being here, Shane, um, and and for sharing as you have, not only from, from your own personal lived experience, but also from your experience as a couples therapist. Um, for our listeners that would like to get in touch with you, how do they do that? And what resources do you recommend as well? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to couplestherapistcouch.com. And um, there's uh, 120 some podcast episodes if you want to learn more about couples therapy. And, um, you know, uh, any of Terry Reel's books, I highly recommend as far as resources go. And uh, anybody's free to reach out to me if you want to ask any other questions about anything at all. But thank you so much, Beth. I'm so grateful to, uh, that you invited me on here. Thank you, Shane. Thank you for spending some time um, with us today. And if people want to reach you, you are at Shane at CouplesTherapistCouch.com. Is that right? Yeah, that worked. Yep. That's one of my emails. Yep. That's great. Perfect. Thank you again, Shane. We really enjoyed having you. Thanks, Beth. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.